Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Well, thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive. This is our sixth session in this series on the doctrine of future things, and we're going to continue to talk talk about the millennial kingdom. Uh, I'm Rich Burkle, and I'm here with Pastor Art and Pastor Daniel. And uh, so we've been discussing the millennium, and we've talked about the various uh, options that people have as they study the Scripture to discern, well, what what is this millennium about? Some are amillennial, that's to say they don't believe in a literal kingdom of God, they believe it's all spiritual. Some are post-millennial, they believe that God in Christ will come back to this earth, but um, that we have to ready the world for him, and once we get this world through the gospel uh, ready and fit for the king, the king will come. And then uh, then there are, are those, and, and we're in this camp, of believing that uh, Jesus is going to come first and then establish his kingdom. He's the one who's going to establish his rule. Now you left out uh, pan-millennialists. They believe it all pan out in the end. Yes, pan-millennialists. A friend told me that joke. It's <laughs> you know, not that there, great, really. <laughs> there are quite a few people who hold that sort of uh, view that uh, – um, that really Bible prophecy is not that important. What we're talking about right. is not significant, so it's all going to pan out. We don't even yeah. need to talk about it. And yet— They're eh, millennialists. Yeah. Right. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> and yet we find so many scriptures that God's given to us uh, in his book that talk about this kingdom. In fact, one of the prayers that—well, the prayer thy that Jesus taught his, his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, it's central to who we are. Some have even established kingdom as kind of a unifying theme you see throughout Scripture, the, yeah. the establishment of God's dominion on earth and in right. heaven. Right, exactly. And so if, if a, you know, we have dear brothers and sisters in Christ who are amillennialists or postmillennialists, but please don't become a panmillennialist. Don't become just <laughs> apathetic to this whole topic, but pursue it and search the Scriptures to see what God has revealed to us because— uh, you know, God only gave us one book, and and everything in it is is given to us uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit um, for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if we leave part of that instruction manual out um, and set it aside and, and refuse to attend to it, uh, we're we're missing out on uh, a resource that God intends to bless us with. Well, we're going to talk during this session about the nature. Of the millennial kingdom. So when we think about this thousand years, we want to set the stage here. Um, the church is raptured, and so all that are are left on the earth at that time after the rapture are unbelievers. God begins systematically to exert justice, but he leaves 144,000 of his own people to be witnesses of his mercy. For seven years, during intense uh, uh, distress, there are 144,000 people who solely set about the work of declaring God's mercy and justice and righteousness. During that seven-year period, some are saved, some are redeemed. 
it's miserable for them because this is also a time of Satan's great wrath. And uh, uh, he is after these who would still honor God, requiring a mark on everyone uh, to, who, who follows after him. If you don't have the mark, you're targeted. Okay, You can't buy, you can't sell. It's a miserable time. Most of the people who are believers during that time, I believe, will be martyred. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from God's specific protection, they all would, would be gone. Mm. Um, and yet, God does specifically protect some. So at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus returns. There's this huge battle, the battle of Armageddon. All the wicked are completely destroyed, and there are left upon the earth uh, these people who are, are yet again in, in the, their bodies like we have bodies today. When Jesus returns, he returns with the saints and the angels, the saints who had been raptured, they're in their, we will be in our new bodies, and with the angels. And he returns with them to reign. And now there's this millennial kingdom, though, of people, everyone who enters, every person in their natural body who enters the millennial kingdom is a Christian. They're set to follow Christ. Satan is bound so that you no longer even have a satanic system that tempts them away from Christ. Uh, On the earth also, they see visibly angels as well as resurrected saints. And the earth is established underneath the rule and reign of Christ. At the beginning of this millennial reign, everyone's a Christian. Uh, There are many, most, the majority of them are uh, resurrected believers with the angels, with Christ. And... Uh, and yet there are, there are many who, and, and these are healthy people who are going to populate the earth underneath perfect circumstances where no disease, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so that is how we want to picture this millennial kingdom beginning. So now what we want to ask the question, what do we expect for this world to be like? Mm-hmm. So what do we know about this world once Jesus Christ establishes himself on the throne and again, there are people living in natural bodies, living out their lives uh, in this millennial kingdom. Um, those who return with Christ are given specific responsibilities to execute uh, justice and righteousness and goodness and help and all of that, health and everything. So what do we expect this world to be like? What, what are some descriptions that you guys uh, consider in Scripture that would help us to understand this this new world that that Christ will establish. The neat thing is, in some ways, there's more descriptions of what the millennial kingdom will be like than than heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. There's so much; it's such a dominant theme in Scripture. And so, to understand what this kingdom will, will be like, one, you go through the Old Testament and you look at what God promised His people regarding land and blessing and, and mm-hmm. nation, and and that's what is going to need to happen. And then you look at what Christ proclaimed. Uh, Christ proclaimed the arrival of a, of, a, of a spiritual and a physical kingdom. And so that kingdom that he promised and, and said, look, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, here's what it's going to be like, and here's what the – we know what the ethical system is going to be like. We know that it's going to turn our modern comprehension of what is blessed and what what makes a person happy on its head. The, the mm-hmm. people who are sad now are going to be the people you'll see happy later. The people who are poor now are going to be the people who are rich mm. and blessed later. I mean, so we, we know a ton about what this kingdom is going to be like. Yeah. yeah. It says that uh, it will be a, a good and honest and righteous government because it will be on the shoulders of uh, Jesus Christ as he reigns. He'll be 
from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no increase, uh, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Uh, he will uh, rule with righteousness. Uh, Isaiah 11 says that uh, he will rule with justice. He will judge the poor with righteousness, uh, inflict um, fairness, and um, he, he won't judge by rumors, but he'll judge by uh, what justice. he sees and, and justice, yeah. Um, it will be a time of unprecedented harmony where even between man and the animal kingdom, uh, we read that uh, the lion and the lamb will lie down together, whereas now they would uh, one would eat the other. Uh, it will be a time of physical blessing um, as you flesh this out with uh, re- reference to the flesh. Isaiah 65 says they will build houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Uh, they will not build in another inhabit. In other words, what they have will not be taken from them. Uh, they will not plant and another eat. In other words, their crops won't be stole by a, uh, a pillaging army. Uh, the life. Uh, so, so in other words, it's this time of blessing where God pours out His blessing of what it means to live in obedience to Him. Well, even obedience, right? Even obedience is defined with a new covenant in, in Jeremiah thirty-one. You see that that new covenant's made with the, the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And, and by the way, um, as we've talked about before, one of the reasons we believe in this coming kingdom that it's going to take place for a thousand years is because we we have a, a hermeneutic a, a system of interpreting the scripture that, that's literal we believe that these things that god has promised are going to literally happen and so here in jeremiah 31 when he says this there's going to be this new covenant with the house of israel with the house of judah even though we've participated in some of those blessings i believe i believe there's an uh, already component of the this new covenant that we're experiencing the blessings of it hasn't been consummated it hasn't been fulfilled yet with with literal Israel, uh, the, the, the Jewishly ethnic right. people. Right. So this, there's going to be a new covenant where uh, the law is put in their inward parts, and he's going to write it in their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And so I think that's why they're able to, to do the things you're talking about, Art. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? There's so many aspects about this kingdom that to talk about the, the aspect of that there will be a government, and that that tells us again that God's design for government is good. You know, we we sometimes bemoan and hate government. Really, government is good. It's a it's sin in government that's bad. It's it's not going to be a democracy either. Right? No, <laughs> right? That's right. That's that's not God's form of government. It's it's a There's no separation rule. of powers. And I think it's important for us to recognize that there will. Uh, be sin because there will be sinners, but that sin will be dealt with immediately. Zechariah 14 says that if a nation, which you know we're speaking of governments, if a nation will not bring its tribute to uh, Jerusalem, to Zion, then there will be a, a famine, there will be a lack of rain in their land as a measure of judgment. Yeah, and so there will be other governments outside of even the government of Israel, although Jesus ruling over all. Right. Um, you know, I like Daniel seven verse fourteen. It says he was given authority. This is the this is Christ, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. So it's a government that there's no separation of church and state in this mm-hmm. government. Uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never ever be destroyed. 
So we, we uh, find, uh, again, that there's a real government uh, with a real king, and he has uh, people in his administration, again, his people, his people and his angels, who will be uh, running that government, so to speak. And, you know, the physical aspects you brought out are kind of interesting to think about. You know, we think of some of the real painful issues that, that we experience in this world, and, and there are a lot of physical things that come to mind right away. Um, Isaiah thirty three twenty four. no one living in Zion will say, I am ill. Mm. You imagine, no one's going to say, I'm sick. Okay, so that's where I'm moving then. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. And I love Isaiah sixty five twenty. never again... Will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, mm-hmm. or an old man who does not live out his years? He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Mm-hmm. In other words, the natural life cycle won't allow for people to die unless it's underneath the judgment hand of God as a result of sin. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, isn't it, that there actually will be death in the millennial yeah. kingdom. Uh, which also I think is is interesting to think how amillennialists would interpret these passages. You know, mm-hmm. so so the millennial kingdom is a kingdom in which there's death, but not death before its time. You know, it, it, to spiritualize those texts is very difficult for me to even understand how how a person would go with that. The, the infants won't die. A person who lives at a hundred, we said, hey, that guy was just a a teenager when he died. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, and you know what's not told about us, and it, it's a it's a, a question for thought more than understanding from Revelation because we're not told is well what happens when a person dies in the millennium? Mm-hmm. You know, I I believe it, at some point they will receive a resurrected body. Is it that they receive that immediately, or or uh, do they have to wait until after the millennial kingdom? Um, uh, most people who think about that believe that they'll receive it after the millennial kingdom, but. But that's kind of interesting that there will be death, but it won't be the same as the kinds of death that we experience here. What do you take about those descriptions regarding the animal kingdom, too? You you kind of referenced that a bit. Yeah, Art. I reflect on the fact that uh, prior to the flood, uh, there, there seemed to be a different relationship of man with beast. It wasn't until after the flood that God put the fear of man into animal, and so I think there's a reversal of that so that there is a harmony with uh, the the animal kingdom in general. Yeah. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lion will eat straw like an ox, right? So those, uh, those, those verses that speak about, um, about the animal kingdom having complete harmony, um, and what about uh, those passages like in Romans when it talks about the whole earth groans for redemption. Do you think that that has anything to do with this millennial kingdom? And, yeah. and what might we expect? I do. I think that uh, death has entered into our existence because of sin, and, and, and so the groaning is the groaning to be liberated from the bondage of corruption. And so that bondage uh, to corruption will be uh, reversed at this point in in redemptive history. Um, it's also fascinating, isn't it, to think that uh, we haven't mentioned this yet, but during this time, this is during the time when Satan has been bound. And so uh, the, the sinfulness that will exist will be 
at least diminished because of that aspect. We can't say that the devil made us do it, but certainly he developed schemes that cause us to uh, enter into the deceit of sin. Uh, Certainly we're not talking about those glorified saints because we who have believed and who have been glorified will not uh, be prone to sin, will be uh, liberated not only from uh, the, the power of sin, but from even the presence of sin to us. Yeah, there there will be, because everybody who begins in the millennium uh, is a believer, in his day, Psalm 72 says, the righteous will flourish, prosperity will abound till the moon is no more, he will rule from, rule from sea to sea. Um, and then it talks about he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Where have we seen that verse before? Have you seen that verse anywhere? It's on the United the Nations end. building, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. However, that's Isaiah 2.4, and they right. only quote Isaiah 2.4b, the <laughs> last part <laughs> right, of it. Right. <laughs> uh, because the first part says, he will judge between the nations and oh. will settle disputes for many peoples. Yeah. And so they like to think it's, – it's, it's like almost a, a museum of idolatry there in, mm-hmm. in the UN. We're going to cut out the Messiah, and mm-hmm. we are going to be establish right. this idea of peace on right. our own, apart from God, in defiance. It, it's sort of the modern-day Tower of Babel. Yeah, it really is. And, 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 the, and just like the Tower of Babel was constructed so that they can per, pursue self-worship in, in defiance of God, that's, that's what the nations have – have, are striving to do to establish the to establish a shadow of the blessings that God promises without the obedience that's that's a prerequisite to experience those blessings. Mm-hmm. So what happens at the end of this thousand years then? Yeah. So, so Satan's bound for a thousand years. What happens after that? Well, uh, Revelation says that he is released then, and he. Uh, he is able to go and to deceive the nations again. So uh, to amass a rebellion, which is just its staggering to my mind in a sense because sin has been dealt with all along where sin crops up. It's dealt with in justice and righteousness, but there's still in the human heart, the fallen human heart, uh, the, the desire to rebel against God. A tragic it's, affirmation of the doctrine of original sin. And yeah, that's right. Even depravity. in the very perfect environment. So yeah. it's, it's you know, there's always this discussion, nature or nurture. Mm-hmm. And certainly we nur- we can nurture people towards sin, and it's horrible when we do. Um, I think that's the point of the peace that does happen when Satan's gone and, and people aren't mm-hmm. nurturing others towards sin. And, yeah. and that tells us a lot about issues relating to society and and what we're trying to accomplish, why it's beneficial to try to nurture a culture towards righteousness. We, mm-hmm. we receive the benefit of that. And yet, we don't want to go so far as to say education is the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nurturing and instructing people toward righteousness is the solution because in the heart of man is, is rebellion. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because you know, amillennialists would say to that passage that Satan is bound for a thousand years, that that means that Satan is bound today. By Christ, so spiritually, Satan is bound, is what they would say, and how they would interpret that. And I liked one commentator. He says, "Well, if Satan is bound, he must have a very long leash." <laughs> and uh, so that that is a, that is one of the difficulties that a non-millennialist has. Well, what in what way is Satan bound when we're told in the day today that we need to fight against this evil one, mm-hmm. who who stirs up rebellion in our hearts? 
Well, we look forward to the coming of Christ. Even so, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. quickly. All those who love is appearing uh, purify themselves uh, with a view to that future day. So let us look forward to the coming of the Lord. God bless you.